men and women love, most people love, the people close to them. Family, friends, that's easy. Christianity is the only compelling reason for loving everyone, including the people who are your enemies. God commands Christians to love the people who hate them. People you might hate. Christianity transformed the world from one of cruelty to a world of love. There's no other compelling reason to. I'm Paul, and this is CYKIAE. It's a public holiday. Last night, you went to bed relaxed, looking forward to another quiet day of the Passover holiday. But did that ever turn into a train wreck? Tomorrow was going to be the most extraordinary day of your life, the kind of day that made you wish you'd never been born, and it began at an indecent time, the absolute crack of dawn. This was the day that a Roman soldier and public servant of no great importance, Pontius Pilate, became one of the most famous men in history. Here's Mary's boy child, Oh My Lord, by Boney M. Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ, was born on Christmas Day. And man will live forevermore because of Christmas Day. Long time ago in Bethlehem, so the Holy Bible said, Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ, was born on Christmas
on back Jesus and pick up John Wayne on the way. Jesus by Willie Nelson. One interesting story that I particularly like about the whole story of the crucifixion of Christ is that Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, who had to deal with the trial of Jesus and who sentenced him to death, was born in Fortinol in Perthshire, Scotland. The story goes that the great Caesar Augustus sent emissaries to Caledonia, what we call Scotland today. One of the Roman emissaries, a man with the family name of Pilate, had a child with a local woman. He took the child, and possibly his mother, back to Rome with him. The child was named Pontius. Pilate was from an equestrian family in Rome. His family was one of the second rung of Roman society, below the families that made up the senators, but still important. He was part of the circle of really important Romans. He was a friend of a man named Sejanus, the head of the Praetorian Guard, Caesar's personal bodyguard. It was through that connection that he got the important job as the procurator governor of Judea. He held this position for 10 years, from 26 AD. This was the second longest time that any governor had served in Judea in the first century AD. The story goes that he was married to a woman who came from the best family in Rome, the family of Caesar Augustus. Her name is believed to have been Claudia Procula. She was possibly one of Caesar Augustus's granddaughters. Claudia is honoured as a saint by the Russian, Greek and Coptic churches. Many Eastern Orthodox churches give Pilate's wife her own feast day on 27 October. The Greek Orthodox Church also recognises her as a martyr. 
the Russian Orthodox Church honours her on 9 November. Tradition says that Paul knew her and referred to her in 2 Timothy 4.21. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. Pilate himself got an unfavourable mention earlier in the Bible in Luke 13.1-3. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. This was apparently referring to a time when Pilate had some Galileans killed and had their blood mixed with his sacrifices. Pilate had a reputation for violence and brutality. He also had a reputation for taking liberties, like the time he took money from the temple to pay for the building of the aqueduct to supply regular water to Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, had been outraged. Another time, Pilate had his legions march into Jerusalem, carrying their standards. They had images of the god Caesar on them. That also drew big protest, and he backed down and had them removed from the city. The next time Pilate upset the Sanhedrin was when he had set up several golden shields in his Jerusalem palace. There weren't any images on them, but the Sanhedrin didn't like them and demanded they be removed. Pilate refused to back down. Why should he? The Jews were a conquered people in a country that Rome was master of. The Jews, with the help of Herod Antipas, the Roman puppet ruler of Judea, took their protest to the emperor Tiberius. The emperor rebuked Pilate for his audacious violation of precedent concerning his Jewish subjects. This happened just five months before Good Friday. Tiberius was now watching him and not in a good way. The Jewish leadership knew that and they were about to play it to their enormous advantage in a matter that was very important to them. So Pilate was now on bad terms with Rome Herod and the Jewish leadership. It's lonely when you're at the top and have to make the decisions. And on this day, of all days, when Jesus was brought before him by the Sanhedrin, Pilate must have felt totally without friends who'd back him up if he acted decisively, giving effect to the decisions that he reached. Getting a nod from Rome in those days would take months He had to be careful that he didn't make a seriously wrong move. So at the crack of dawn that morning, the Sanhedrin arrived at Pilate's palace in Jerusalem at what John calls the Hall of Judgment. The Pharisees didn't enter into that hall. It belonged to Gentiles, people who weren't of the Jewish faith. As I've said in an earlier program, The Pharisees were very strict in applying the laws of Moses and their own laws. If they'd entered into the hall, they would have been unclean and unable to participate in the celebrations of Passover. Well, when I say they were strict in the practice of the law, the process they'd just gone through with Jesus broke every one of their laws. So they were hypocrites was what they were. In the last program, I talked about how under Roman law, Jesus was an absolute nobody. 
Pilate had to try this man and decide what to do with him. Roman law required that a person charged with some criminal offence had to be brought before him. Obviously, Pilate didn't deal with every petty criminal in Judea. So for Pilate's time to be taken up with this man, Jesus, this early in the morning, meant that it was important. It was important to the Sanhedrin. And because Caesar was not happy with Pilate's recent acts, it was important for Pilate to deal with this man himself in a way that wouldn't result in another complaint being made to Rome. What was Pilate's state of mind at this time? It seems really unlikely that he hadn't heard about Lazarus being brought back to life days after he died. That was only recent. There was obviously a lot of excitement about that. Probably Pilate didn't know at first that the man he was going to see was the same man who had performed that miracle. It seems likely that As the governor of Judea, responsible for keeping law and order in Judea, he would have known about Jesus' dramatic entry into Jerusalem only a few days before, riding an ass and being greeted as the Messiah. Again, he probably might not have realized that the man being brought to him was that man. At some time after he met Jesus, he probably realized who he was. Since all of the Jewish leadership who brought the bound Jesus to the Hall of Judgment were standing outside the Hall of Judgment because they wouldn't come in, Pilate had to go outside to meet them and speak with them. His first question was the obvious one. This exchange takes place and is told in John eighteen twenty nine to 31 Pilate then went out under them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? There was obvious arrogance of the Sanhedrin in their expectation that Pilate had to order Christ to be crucified. Their first encounter really brought this home. They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up to thee. Now that is a smart-ass answer of the first magnitude. And it also says to me that the Sanhedrin knew that they'd got Pilate over the barrel. So he'd have to do what they wanted. No questions asked. And Pilate hasn't worked that out yet. This is the Jewish religious leaders calling in a huge favour that he owed them so they wouldn't report him to Caesar. He's going to be told this later on when he isn't getting it, that he doesn't have any choice about what he is going to do. And then Pilate said unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Now Pilate knew what they wanted, but he didn't know why. What were the charges, he asked? Once again, these honourable men of the Sanhedrin showed that telling the truth about Jesus wasn't one of the honourable things stooped to doing. Most of their charges against Jesus aren't spelled out, but there's an obvious lie which undoubtedly sets the tone for what their complaints against Jesus were in Luke 23.2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. 
saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now we know from an earlier program that they tried to trick Jesus into saying that the Jews shouldn't pay taxes to the Romans. And Jesus told them to render unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar, so pay your taxes. In their attacks on Jesus, the Pharisees soon let slip a piece of information that Pilate saw as his way out in Luke 23, 4-7. It says, And then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. As the Roman governor, it was Pilate's legal duty when he found this man to be innocent to let him go. But he's been cautious after the strife he got in with Caesar over the gold shields that he had had in his palace in Jerusalem, which Caesar had ordered him to take down. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was also at Jerusalem at that time. So Pilate obviously gave a silent whoop of joy when he heard that Jesus was from Galilee. He can send him to Herod. Problem solved. He had just dodged a javelin. The first trial under Pilate was now finished but he hadn't heard the last of these troublesome Jews. Here's Michael Buble with Ave Maria. Ave Maria 
was Tell it on the mountain by Peter, Paul and Mary. Herod was thrilled to have Jesus sent to him. Who hadn't heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead? Luke tells us what happened in Luke 23, 8-12. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracles done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. I guess that Herod quickly bored with Jesus not performing any miracles, with the Pharisees badgering him about all the terrible things that Jesus was said to have done. Herod just wanted to return to the quiet life of enjoying the Passover celebrations So he had a bit of fun with this silent man. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. I opened this program telling you how Herod had helped the Pharisees land Pilate in hot water with Caesar. But the joking around that Herod now performed on Jesus obviously came back to Pilate as an in-joke between these two rulers, stuck in the middle of this desperate fight by the Pharisees to have Jesus put to death, with their never-ending moaning, badgering, demanding and fantasies about things Jesus had or hadn't actually done, as you see from what Luke says next. And the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. A shared joke as rulers trying to fend off a situation that was annoying, unpleasant, and now about to become dangerous for Pilate personally. Jesus is sent back, and Herod and Pilate become besties. Jesus' second trial before Herod was finished. The buck was coming back to stop with the reluctant Pilate. Before we go to continue with the remarkable trial of Jesus before Pilate, we need to find out what happened to Judas and how what happened with him had started back in the Old Testament about 550 years before. Here's If I Give My Soul by Tom Jones. Down a dangerous road I have come to where I'm standing With a heavy heart And my hat clutched in my hand Such a foolish man God ain't known no greater sinner I have come in search of Jesus Hoping he will understand I had a woman once She was kind and she was gentle Had a child by me Who grew up to be a man I had a steady job Till I started into drinking 
started playing music, traveling with the devil's band. Oh, the years flew by like a mighty rush of eagles. My dreams and plans were all scattered in the wind. It's a lonesome life when you lose the ones you live for. If I make my peace with Jesus. Will you take me back again? If I give my soul, will he stop my hands from shaking? If I give my soul, will my son love me again? If I give my soul, and she knows I really mean it. If I give my soul to Jesus, will she take me back again? If I give my soul, will he clean these clothes I'm wearing? If I give my soul, will he put new boots on my feet? If I bow my head and beg God for his forgiveness, will he breathe new breath within me? And bring her back to me What child is this who laid to rest? On Mary's lap is sleeping Whom angels greet with voices sweet While shepherds watch our keeping This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him praise, the Son, the Babe of Mary. Gold and myrrh, come, peasant king, to praise him, the king of kings, a glory brings 
Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise the song on high. Let singing fill the earth and sky. Joy, joy for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping whom angels greet with voices sweet while shepherds watch our keeping That was Son of Mary by Harry Belafonte. A lot of the Old Testament is focused on the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. So over the thousands of years of the Old Testament, many things happened to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. One little story pops up in the book of the prophet Zechariah. He lived as a prophet in about 518 to 520 BC, about 550 years before the trial of Jesus. In Zechariah 11, 12 to 13, a conversation takes place about buying a piece of land for 30 pieces of silver. It says, And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. So that is the story of the potter's field purchased in the temple for thirty pieces of silver. Hundreds of years later, it was going to be purchased by the temple with the money that was paid to Judas to betray Jesus. Judas had seen Jesus being taken and bound in the Garden of Gethsemane. In John 18.15, John tells us that another disciple, in addition to Peter, followed the crowd back to Annas' house. John doesn't name that other disciple. I think it was most likely Judas. When John talks of himself, he mostly refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So perhaps it was Judas who was now watching what was happening to Jesus after his betrayal, it would make sense because of the way things now happen. If he followed Jesus to Annas' house, it seemed likely that he would have kept following to see what the consequences of his betrayal were. So on to Caiaphas's house, then to Pilate's palace. Remember when Jesus was taken to Pilate, the Pharisees wouldn't enter the building of a person who wasn't a Jew, a Gentile. 
So the discussion about demanding Jesus be put to death was a discussion that was probably exchanged in loud voices out in the open, so Judas could hear. Also, although we haven't reached that part, it seems likely that Judas would have been in the crowd who heard Pilate order Jesus' crucifixion. After hearing Pilate condemn Jesus to death, which seems likely to me, Judas went to the temple to see Caiaphas and the other priests. In Matthew 27, 3-4 it says, Then Judas, which had betrayed Jesus, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself. It doesn't say he was remorseful about what he'd done, the wrong thing, just feeling guilty about it, and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And that's an interesting comment, because we were told earlier that Satan had entered into Judas. So it seems that Satan himself was telling the priest that Jesus was innocent. But these guys were not wanting to get that message, and they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And Judas cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, and departed, and went and hanged himself. Where did he hang himself? Well, it turns out that it was in that potter's field that Zechariah talked about. Luke finishes off the story of Judas hanging himself in Acts 1, 18-19, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. Judas's body was apparently undiscovered for a long time, and was affected by the heat and corruption after he'd hung himself. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, inasmuch as that field is called in their proper tongue Al-Keldama, that is to say, the field of blood. Now, I've already told you that apart from the totally illegal trial that Jesus was subjected to by the Pharisees, the Pharisees always, well mostly, rigidly followed the law. So now they had a problem with all those silver coins lying on the temple floor. Matthew told us how they solved that problem with the help of clever accountants. You didn't know that there were chartered accountants in those days, did you? So in Matthew 27, 6-10, And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel, as I said, they had smart accountants, and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. In accountancy terms, they were able to prepay expenses so the money didn't have to go into their treasury. They bought the field in which Judas had hung himself. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. That was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. Thanks for joining me for the CYKIAE program. In the next program, the most remarkable trial in all of history, Pilate's trial of Jesus. Here's Randy Newman with The Great Debate. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this great arena, Durham, North Carolina. 
the heart of the research triangle. We've come to this particular place tonight because we got to look at things from every angle. We need some answers to some complicated questions if we're going to get it right. To that end, we have here gathered some of the most expensive scientists in the world, eminent scientists, that is. We got biologists, biometricians, we got a quantum mechanic, an astrophysician, we got a cosmologist, a cosmetician, we got an astronaut, we got an astro boy. We got P doctors, she doctors, knee doctors, tree doctors. We got a lumberjack and a life coach. On the other side, we have the true believers. We got the Baptists, the Methodists, the Presbyterians. Episcopalians are here, past the hat. We got the Shakers, the Quakers, the Anti-Mocculators, the Big Ball Slime, it's Madison time. The Six Blind Boys, five tons of joy. Give them room, get out of the way. We got a Bible belter from the Mississippi Delta. Have them all arranged. Scientists, are you ready? First question. Dark matter. Oh, dark matter. Give me someone knows something about space. Nice space music, Georgie. All right, what is it? Where is it? Can we get some? Stand up, sir, would you? You're standing. Forgive me. Dark matter, go ahead. Dark matter is out in space. It's 75% of everything. Just a moment, sir. Do yourself a favor. Use our music. People like it, and your music's making people sick. All right, it's a free country. Go ahead, dark matter. What is it? We don't know what it is, but we think it's everywhere. Like, take a look at it. Can we get some down here? <laughs> Of course not, not. Let me get this straight. You don't know what it is. You don't know where it is. We can't get any. Put that to the one side. Let's put the Lord, faith, eternity, whatever, on the other side. Show of hands. Nothing. Next one's gonna be a hard one. It's about the theory of evolution, and it's about animals also. So give me someone who knows something about evolution and animals. Who you got? Wow, you're a beautiful woman, aren't you? Doesn't matter, of course. But this science thing doesn't work out for you. Don't boo me. Don't boo me. I'm just kidding. You know that. My question. Explain me the giraffe. Go ahead. Elaborate. 
With pleasure, miss. The giraffe, to survive, must eat leaves high up on the yabba yabba tree. That's true, isn't it? Of course it is. Everyone knows that. But Mr. Darwin's giraffe, a halfway giraffe with a halfway giraffe neck, could never have reached the highest branches of the yabba yabba. Therefore, he could not have survived. It's only common sense. Unfortunately for you, Mr. Charles Darwin didn't have any common sense. Evolution is a theory, and we have just now, tonight, disproved it. Show of hands. Next question, global warming, is it? And if so, so what? One of the true believers seeks to be recognized. Hand him a mic, Charles. Thank you. Sir, do you know what you are? You're an idiot. You're a straw man, a fabrication. You see, the author of this little vignette, Mr. Newman, self-described atheist and communist creates characters like you as objects of ridicule. He doesn't believe anything he has you say, nor does he want us to believe anything you say. Makes it easy for him to knock you down, hence a straw man. I myself believe in Jesus. I believe in evolution also. I believe in global warming and in life everlasting. No one can knock me down. Oh, we can knock you down, mister. We can knock your commonest friend down, too. Commonest? You call me an idiot. You've been knocking people like Mr. Newman down for years and years. Like this. Page 35, Georgie. Miss Dorothy, page 35. I know someone is watching me everywhere I go. Someone sees everything I see, knows everything I know. When I'm in trouble, don't have a friend, there's still somebody who I can depend. Someone who be that.
Get to 